The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Sharon Kleina Hour, health, environment, and the power of water. What you hear in the next hour could very well save your life. Now, here's your host, Sharon Kleina. I want to invite you to listen to the Sharon Kleina Hour, the power of water and water life science. We've been doing this soon. I keep saying 10 years. We're almost through our 11th, and um, we've been focusing on your health issues, uh, the misunderstanding of uh, the medical field and the natural health and holistic field of health. But the focus has been water. Isn't it interesting when you think without water, there is no life and water was started all life and it's an organism of life. It's the beginning of all organism of life. And I find myself, after all these years uh, in the research of water and the human body and the water earth and the atmosphere's water, it just startles me how tragic it has been that people out there that you pay, that you have respect and think are responsible to prioritizing your health, your planet. And you keep hearing all this environmental protection, environmental raising capital money for environmental uh, studies, environmental protection, and all this money. We've even heard that Al Gore became a billionaire over it because of the environment and what he's trying to do with global warming, global climate change, and all that. But what startles me, audience, is I've been studying water for a lot of years, over 25 years. It doesn't take a genius. It doesn't take anyone who's smart. It doesn't take anyone ever to realize that if you don't have water in the atmosphere and you don't have water on the planet and your body is made up of 70, 80% water, the whole eternity won't be there. Now, where have we been to not recognize the world out there that if with the right technology, the right focus, it could be turned around. That all of a sudden, Earth might be here for eternity. All these health issues and diseases, I will teach you here. What is a disease? A dehydration of the body, dehydration of the planet. 
dehydration of your water atmosphere, the water, the water vapor you breathe. What is your health symptom? I've taught you over and over again. I am never going to back off of this. The moment you were born, you left the pocket of water that nourished you. Each of those organs have a percentage of water. You entered into the atmospheric water vapor, our breath of life. You begin immediately evaporating water because you're not in a pocket of water any longer. And that evaporation is individual. No two fingerprints alike, no two eyes alike, and more. Do you even have a little different look? You have a lot of things, your emotions, individualities. And have you ever gone and watched a series of, like on public broadcasting, and they go into these different countries and different states and different places, have you ever noticed how different everything looks per spot? That's evaporation of water loss. It's it's an individual uniqueness, water loss, to dehydration effect, to death. So when we've talked on the show for all these years, and I have my research center that I'm the founder of Biologic Aqua Research, has invested millions of dollars into research, into body water loss, and understanding these health issues and symptoms. There are over 10,000 diseases and only 500 estimated treatments. The planet Earth is going through hell. Saying to all of us bright human beings, help, help, help. And then what it means, please, Think about the water first before everything and every anything. It's the water. You must breathe water or you won't live in the atmosphere. The surface of the planet and below the surface of the aquifers is screaming, help. You can look at it. Help. I need the water. We need more water on the surface, not all running to the oceans. The other one, human life. The organism of human life is where the technology and the knowledge should come from. The human body, did you know that when you go to a doctor and the doctor says your eyes are too dry, did you, were you ever educated that the surface of your eye is 99% water supplemented by the water vapor of the atmosphere? And if you're not getting enough supplementation from the atmosphere, you could go blind and blindness is out of control. Out of control. They have no control over it because they hadn't thought about what's happening with dry eye. And there is a new product, though, out there for years from our research center that they asked us to launch. Yes, they did. They asked us research to launch it. We launched Nature's Tears Eye Mist to supplement the surface of the eye. And we put an enormous amount of wealth into that education. But doctors are still having to say, 
Well, if you apply the eye drop, well, eye drops cause a dehydration effect. We don't know which one may have even a really severe trauma effect of eye drops being applied. Nobody knows until it's later. And then all of a sudden, the later becomes possibly too much dehydration, addiction to the eye drop, and eyes do become addicted to eye drops. Dehydration is because of over-evaporation body water loss, earth water loss. There is something my secretary got me here. She typed in on Facebook page, I care about water. Here's one that's just sad. In Y-A-M-U-N-A, Yama, Yama, I don't have the pronunciation, is dead, it says. No improvements in water quality. And I see a picture of a young black man standing among the trashiest trash in the water you can imagine. Now, the world has all these politicians, and I've said it before, this is not new. Politicians spend your money, spend the money for what they think is important for their reelection and who they are. I'm going to say it. They're not putting water at the beginning because it may not be what's so popular yet. Although they're finding out the earth has been depleting and the water issues are out of control all over the planet. Even in the United States, it's supposed to be so intellectual. Those 50 states are all having trouble with water. Oh, they can say when the rains come down, oh, we're not going to have a, a, a drought this season. Big deal. What, are you gonna, what happened to all that water that ran off to the ocean? You didn't catch enough of it to put it in reservoirs to use it for the earth to be supplemented. The earth needs a supplementation. The ocean doesn't do it. It needs fresh water. The human life needs to be studied to find those cures. We've said it on this show as scientists. You'll find the cures in water for diseases. You're hearing words like remission. Oh, the earth is itself in a remission. And then you're hearing all this money going toward what? I get so upset that people, these politicians find fighting with each other will will save our planet. Fighting with each other is going to get them reelected. Fighting with each other and being ignorant about being fair and in an ecosystem balance. Eco means balancing act. We're not taking water serious. And especially if you find out that the surface of your eye is 99% water, connected to the brain that's 80 to 85% water, what are, and they're connected at the same breath in the womb, brain, the brain and the eyes, why did nature do that? Why are we, uh, why is blindness out of control? Why are emotions and anger and anxiety and mental issues out of control? It's because of dehydration effect of that person over evaporation of body water. Challenge me on that. Science has learned that. We have a lot to do. And the show has been very, very exciting. 
to try to get that topic out there. Today, we have a real exciting um, guest, and I'm really looking forward to it. Dr. Uh, is Stephen. He's a research scientist. Steve Okstakalnist, and I had to pronounce that the way it's Okstakalnist is one of our, uh, is our guests today, and you're going to be listening to an, an, an exciting topic that I think is going to be fun called virtual reality. And he's going to teach us something that will listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, but just a mist. We're going into China with water at Nature's Tears. It's a tissue culture grade water, 100% water to mist the eyes for supplementation. And before long, there are patents all over the world now approved by scientists. Nature's Tears Eye Mist will become the new commodity of supplementing your eyes, and hopefully you'll get in a habit of it every day, once or twice, to try to prevent vision impairment to blindness. We'll listen to our sponsor, and we'll be back with our guest. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. That's Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Steve, are you with us? I am with you. Well, thank you. I'm going to tell the audience first about you, and I bet you could go through this with everyone. How do you pronounce your last name? And I really appreciated you giving the pronunciation. But audience, I want to introduce you to Steve Octakalnis. Octakalnis. Thank you. Steve is a research scientist, lecturer, the author of three books in the field of virtual and augmented reality, and we're going to learn something about that. He has spent over two decades working with academia and government and industry and the application and impersiveness display technologies in such varied fields as architecture, national defense, and medicine. He's worked as a researcher with the U.S. Army, U.S. Navy, National Reconnaissance, I can't pronounce, excuse me, Office, University of Michigan, Pepperdine, and we could go on to different universities and corporations and more. Steve, what, an, what a focus you have. 
<laughs> so tell us about what, how you got into this. As a young boy, did you think you'd be doing this? Uh, no, absolutely. I had absolutely no clue that uh, I would be involved in these technologies. Humans were spatial beings. We see, hear, touch, and move through our surroundings in three dimensions. Our God-given sensory mechanisms, they are optimized to process information in three dimensions. Yet, every tool and method that we use to interact with complex machinery and computing systems are based off of two dimensions. You use a two-dimensional mouse, or you use a mouse that you slide around a 2D surface, like your desktop. Most people use a two-dimensional display, which gives you, if you're simulating 3D imagery, it's like looking through a window into a 3D world. Now, with what virtual reality is, There's a small flat panel array, one in front of each eye, stereoscopic wide-angle optics, which spread the imagery around to cover your entire vertical and horizontal fields of view, and a one of multiple technologies which tracks the position and orientation of your head so the computer knows where you're looking. <clears throat> and when you're displaying graphical information inside of these displays, what they call head-mounted displays, you actually have the visual sensation of being inside of the images as as opposed to looking in through a window. And so let me give an example of how this is being widely used in America right now. And that comes in the form of architectural walkthroughs. There's architectural firms across the U.S. now that will take designs for buildings, houses. They'll have the client come into their office. They'll put the head-mounted display on them, and they can physically walk through that building as though it had already been constructed when not a single spade of dirt has even been turned. So you're able to see the front door, walk through, physically walk forward, see yourself enter into the structure. You can physically look up, look to the left and right, physically turn around, and you can experience the structure or that space uh, from either the perspective of an adult or they can change certain settings so that you can see it as from the perspective of a child. There's also gaming applications, defense-related applications for this engineering. Lockheed Martin walking through and prototyping the inside of different parts of the space station or the new uh, um, space capsules that they're using or will be using soon to take the astronauts into space. These are some of the broad uh, application areas where these technologies are being employed. Now, before we go on, this is... We're going to dive into you picking your brains on this one. But tell me, when you were a young man and you developed and grew into your adult life, how did you, how did you pick this one out for you to be focusing on? <clears throat> I studied physics and computer science at Utah State University. Uh, several years later, I ended up on the campus of the University of Washington and was just walking around the campus, looking at the different stuff that's going on, stuck my head into a research lab door and saw people with these head-mounted displays on. Somebody says, here, hold this. And I think they put a broom in my hand <laughs> and eventually <clears throat> uh, started learning more. You know, obviously, you know, 
you find something like this, you're immediately captivated. You start hanging around. Eventually, they start, you know, incorporating. And I got offered a job as a lab assistant, uh, working with these technologies. Eventually, worked my way onto the research faculty with the university. Then went on to direct a program for the National Science Foundation, further developing applications for these technologies uh, to help keep U.S. industry more competitive. Um, and so this is kind of the way that I literally fell ass backwards into the whole thing. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, don't you think that's normally, uh, it's really strange how those of us who end up where we're at um, and whatever uh, accomplishments, that all of the, there was something intriguing. But that, that itself is a virtual reality with yourself personally, uh, yeah. with what happened to you. Right. Yeah, I came. My my father was an engineer, an aerodynamic engineer. So it was always there was a high tech upbringing. Uh, mm-hmm. That's I, was a wash around me. You know, there was always mm-hmm. the latest and greatest new tools and so on that my father would be tinkering with at home, which mm-hmm. naturally leads to children, you know, <clears throat> being kind of drawn into that those areas as well. Vulnerable to the environment. To which child in the house is is uh, really acceptable to it or not receiving it uh, to the reality of it. Because I personally, when I study the technology of, of the organism of water and, and the deal of, of what's happening there with the vulnerability to uh, behavior of rhythm, um, down the road here where you're going, when you were talking about the description. I look at it as behavior of rhythm as an individual. Now, you had up there at, uh, maybe not when you were there, but a Dr. Gerald Pollack studying the body water uh, of the human life. And that's what I study is the, the evaporation of body water from the human life living with the vapor of the water as a communication electrically. And the body is a battery. And uh, the battery is a body living with the water vapor electrically. Uh, the reality, we'll say, and how I think of the virtual reality of it all, is that relationship individually, so uniquely, because no two people are exactly alike in that evaporation. So when you were vulnerable... And now here you are today. Uh, One of the things when you were talking, Steve, uh, before we go on, all I could think about, did Tom Brady hire you for the Patriots? (laughs) 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 Did you watch the Super Bowl? (laughs) Sure. Did you see what they did at the last minute? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that was pretty impressive. That was amazing uh, for all of us to learn that... Just keep that rhythm. <laughs> Even if you lose, keep the rhythm all the way to the moment. Now, what you're teaching, though, and in, in studying, is uh, very fascinating to me because the origination of the computer, to me, and now you correct me because I don't know what you know. The invention of the computer had to be that virtual reality too. Right? 
I think we're. Uh, no, I know. Yeah, it's such a. It's a little loose application of the the terminology. These these technologies <clears throat> originally came into existence to solve problems. Um, initially with the Defense Department. So in the 1960s, as aircraft started becoming more and more complex and difficult to fly, (laughs) uh, pilots began complaining about information overload. So if you can imagine sitting in the cockpit of a modern aircraft and you've got dozens of highly coded dials and displays that you have to try and decipher. Now, in a commercial aircraft, that's one thing. But if you're you're flying a combat aircraft, and you're, trying, you're spending most of your time looking in the cockpit, trying to decipher these dials and displays in order to understand what is happening outside of the aircraft, uh, it's, it ended up with a lot of pilots dying. And so the, the cockpit designers, for instance, at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, so Dr. Thomas Furness, who was one of the premier individuals in the field back in the day, they started looking at different ways to make these complex machines easier to use. Um, one of his favorite sayings is that the goal of these technologies is not to make the human more computer-like, but to make the computer more human-like in the way that mm-hmm. it addresses and gives you information. And, and so the things eventually went from three, simple 3D displays, then onto the head, so that a pilot's able to still see the avionics information but while maintaining their attention outside of the aircraft. So yeah, I'm going to back you up a minute, Steve, on that one. Sure. Uh, so I, I, I'm following you, by the way. So what they did with the aircraft, because the aircrafts were invented to be operated that the way complexity that you said is humans have many other roles in their behavior to, that they have to achieve every day, walking down the street, whatever it is, getting to bed, whatever. So what they did with the reality of this is they went in and did the same identical thing but began to... Uh, to include the human's behavior along with the behavior of the technology so they could achieve what they were after, but the human wouldn't be over-complexed. Uh, the human could be able to follow. That's why I brought up the Tom Brady thing. Um, yeah, the human <laughs> has to keep a rhythm. Do you follow me? Uh, the human has yeah. to have a rhythm individually. To be able to achieve, to keep up with that technology, with it, with the complexity, and automatically, to to mold with it, with that rhythm. If they don't have it, if they haven't learned how to do it as a rhythm of a human life, to look work with the technology, they could fail because they have to yeah. be a rhythm. And how yeah, do there we? Are, there are specific ways that. There are very specific ways that the human perceptual mechanisms process information. As an example, there we go. If there you were you go. to look at, if you were to look at a page that's just filled with letters and numbers, the chances are good you're not going to be able to instantly know what those letters and numbers represent. They alphanumerics. On the other side, if those letters and numbers 
are represented in graphical form. The, you're able to assimilate information much, much faster if it's represented mm-hmm. in a graphical representation as well as in three dimensions if, it rep, if that information represents some multidimensional phenomenon. And mm-hmm. so uh, as a perfect example, instead of having to – now I'll use the pilot uh, uh, analogy again just to kind of draw the picture here. It, it is a good analogy. Uh, okay. <clears throat> If you can imagine, uh, you have an aeronautical chart that's probably strapped to your leg. And so in order to be able to um, follow your flight path, you're always looking down, looking at this map, this aeronautical map, if you will, or this chart and so on, uh, and trying to figure out where restricted airspace is. Well, with with the virtual and augmented reality systems, they have options available now for pilots that will overlay restricted airspace onto your real-world view. So if you want to stay out of the restricted airspace, stay out of the colored area that you see highlighted in your real-world view. And this can be like a semi-transparent cylinder that goes from the ground all the way up to 40,000 feet, for instance. Um, Or symbology for different aircraft flying around or drawing that highway in the sky. Now, most of this is often represented in either alphanumeric form or in a 2D form somewhere inside of the cockpit. Well, by overlaying this, for instance, projecting this information on the inside of the pilot's visor. So it's overlaid and correlated with your real-world view. You're able to assimilate what's happening outside of the aircraft uh, much, much faster. And in a combat environment... That allows Steve, you we have to, to take focus. that only. We only do it once. Commercial. They just let me um, tell me. We'll, we'll take that commercial. We'll come back. That's the only one we have for the whole show. And I am, I'm following you. And we've got to make sure our audience understands what this is, too. Because it is a very exciting development that you're doing for people to think about. Uh, it's a new uh, approach to, uh, not, probably not new. But we'll listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist with just a mist. Did you know that your eyes are 99% water at the surface and that your uh, supplementation of the water vapor of the air is to the, what gives you the supplement for your eyes to be healthy? If your eyes have vision impairment and you feel anxiety, your eyes could be too dry. And that's what they're finding is leading to blindness. It's out of control. I'll listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, with just a mist of tissue culture-grade water. And we'll be back with Steve. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. 
listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Uh, Steve, uh, you were talking about we were using the cockpit as a plane. For the pilots, obviously, had been highly trained. And you've learned that virtual uh, reality um, is accomplishing an assistance to helping them uh, simplify how to, get to be able to pilot a very technical, complex plane. And you were, then you mentioned uh, you're looking out of the plane and doing some th- certain things that I was thinking that causes a distraction to the pilot to keep up with all that they have to do. Can you continue that? Absolutely. I'm going to shift gears and maybe get into something that's a little bit more that the, the, the audience can identify with. Let's say that okay. you go into an architect's office and they show you a stack of blueprints. 99% of the people that are looking at the blueprints are not going to be able to tell what's happening. They don't know what they're mm-hmm. looking at. They don't know how to interpret these 2D representations mm-hmm. of what ultimately is a 3D structure. This mm-hmm. is another re- um, And so by taking and changing the form that the information is displayed to the human, you're able to optimize um, someone's assimilation of that information and their ultimate understanding of it. And mm-hmm. that is the ultimate goal of these technologies is to increase efficiency, solve problems, um, uh, visual, solve visualization problems. Uh, as another example, uh, as I mentioned, Lockheed Martin uses these technologies in every business unit of their company. And the goal is to be able to, for instance, prototype the design of a manned space capsule um, at life size where you can, for instance, uh, the engineers can see, is there enough room for me to be able to get my arm in that space to be able to tighten that bolt? Or do all of the subsystems come together efficiently? And looking at this on standard 2D display or in 2D drawings, just cannot make those determinations easily. With these visualization technologies, it makes it um, uh, a pretty simple task, actually. Uh, so. so now they're training individuals with different, different um, divisions in Lockheed to, to use this uh, technique, technology, to help the individuals be trained uh, or achieve a, a goal that they would be after that might have taken longer. Uh, more efficient for the designs, fewer. More efficient designs, fewer design clashes. For instance, if go. you have a cooling system and an electrical system where you've got mm-hmm. uh, points of of uh, clashing subsystems, which have to be corrected. Well, viewing these three D structures in three D allows you to identify those design flaws much earlier. Okay than having mm-hmm. to wait for the construction to begin, only then to find the problem. Now, you've got on here something. Um, I, I think I'll have it. this is right for this one here. Should people be concerned about the side effects uh, of this? Uh, after they've gone through this type of training, what I'm thinking um, is once they've been trained with what you're describing, is there a side effect of some individual's behavior? 
Well, let's, let's back up for a second. So these systems, virtual reality systems, the head-mounted displays, on the low end, you can actually purchase them for under $10 on the, the low end, and the high end goes up into the tens of thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> the, using the systems, approximately 50% of everyone that puts on a head-mounted display experiences either some form of um, nausea, light nausea, or disorientation. And this comes from having, when you have a very compelling visual sensation of motion, but without the corresponding vestibular cues or the inner ear cues. And this is the exact inverse of motion sickness. So imagine you're on the inside of a boat that's getting rocked around. You don't see that rocking because you're on the inside of the boat, but your inner ear senses it. Simulator sickness is the inverse of that, and which is what we're talking about right now, which is the very compelling visual sensation, but without the inner ear cues. Both the simulator sickness and regular motion sickness result in the same symptoms. Increased stomach mm-hmm. awareness, uh, headaches, cold sweats, and ultimately nausea. Now, um, during the, during the uh, uh, training, let's just say, or a class, can you adjust the technology for the individual behavior also? Yeah, there's, there's really there's no training involved. You know, you can go to Best Buy or any electronics, major electronics store now and purchase fully immersive virtual yeah, Well, I'm not thinking so much that, but you're, your we're talking corporations or pilots <clears throat> or individual. Well, corporations are using it. Corporations, they're not using it for training so much as to assure a higher quality product. And so they're using these I technologies see. to prototype designs. I see. Um, well, okay. Yeah. And the gaming applications of these technologies as well are are pretty substantial. And so circling back to the question that you originally asked me, should there be a concern about the side, these types of side effects? And yes, there should be um, <clears throat> some concern, but it should also be noted that most people after two or three exposures to wearing these systems, these head-mounted displays, ultimately adapt and that nauseous feeling goes away. Mm-hmm. And so the human body is, uh, has this amazing ability to adapt to conflicting sensory information. And so while there is some concern initially uh, that people would have, um, those, that area of concern ultimately does pass in most people. So you do not end up experiencing those, um, those sensations. Mm-hmm. You've got on here some things that I never do use these things, uh, but I will today. Uh, some different uh, thoughts here for me to ask. Uh, you've got on here, um, um, what are some of the ethical concerns with this technology? Uh, Steve, what are you thinking uh, is the future of this? <clears throat> Along the entertainment side, there are art one area which is already making tremendous amounts of money uh, in this field is virtual pornography. Mm -hmm. And so you're not looking at um, 
computer-generated characters yet, but what they will do is put a stereoscopic camera on one of the two individuals' heads so that you're getting a 360-degree video uh, shot of a sexual encounter. And then you can play that back inside of these head-mounted displays. So this is one well, area is this going, that's generating... Is this happening, excuse me, is this happening right now? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. If somebody just went up to one of your favorite online search engine and typed in virtual reality porn, you'd have page after page after page of results. Now, um, it says so on here that... Area, well, this is it one area. Another can area crimes is ever be committed in a virtual world. Um, what does it mean by that? Uh, <clears throat> so there are uh, websites, for instance, such as Second Life, where you're able to, in a shared um, digital world, you can create your own character, choose the clothing, um, build uh, a house. Furnish the house. Now, if you went in, now let's say that you're in a shared virtual environment. These are all widely available now for people to tap into. You can carry on conversations with somebody in real time that's halfway around the world. You can see a virtual representation of them. You're fraudulently characterizing. Correct. Now, let's, so let's say that uh, one way is let, if you steal a virtual object from somebody inside of one of these shared 3D worlds, is a crime actually committed? Or let's say that you're, you're deciding how uh, your, what they call a persona form. Let's say that the, your character inside of this 3D model has a, um, a Gucci logo shirt on. Are you violating copyright laws there? And there's actually law firms across the United States that are starting to spin up study case law, and so on, because of the, the dramatic increase in the number of people that are using these systems and the number of companies that are providing various types of content and 3D models, um, these are all areas that the legal system are going to have to be grappling with, and some within the next couple of years. There's lawsuits actually spinning up right now about um, misuse of... Um, of trademark symbols and um, or trademarked symbols and logos and so on inside of these models without people paying licensing fees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, the, uh, now then, the other one you have here um, is um, have the technologies been used in the presentation of courtrooms? Sounds like it has. What are some of the next major changes you see in this, Steve, that yeah. are uh, used? Uh, and whenever I, when, when you're talking, I'm wondering, what, what, what's, I can see an asset to behavior and uh, advancements in technology, but I also see the criminal mind, the uh, mind of an individuality's behavior taking advantage of this and some new technology to make it beneficial uh, for a... Uh, Virtual reality, I'll call it. Am I wrong? No, this, uh, there, even though this field, it's only been in the last few years that mm-hmm. the, the head-mounted displays, three-dimensional sound systems, the different uh, manual interfaces that you would use, it's only been in the last few years that these have actually 
lowered in price to a consumer price point. Um, and already this field, um, there's some very dark sides, yeah. dark corners to this field. For instance, uh, in the last few months, somebody has come out with a guillotine simulator. So you put on a head-mounted display, and if you look up and so on, you can see the guillotine blade above your head, and it um, uh, will come down and you know lop off your virtual head, and inside your head-mounted display, you're able to see you know what it would look like if your head is tumbling down a you know a ramp or something like that into a basket. Oh, so now what, where I'm and, coming, Steve, with this is uh, following here is if we have an individual whose behavior is already having challenged. It's uh, the, themselves, and they're f- hearing about this, or they're wanting to get involved, or they by chance run into it with somebody else, or whatever. On because the computer is a weapon today to find, go out and find uh, individual behaviors. So if a person is already not well, let's say their behavior is is um, not well at all if they should get involved in this, they could program themselves to go out and do very, very um, dangerous behavior. Am I wrong? Wait, potentially, yes. No, not at all. Uh, so and are our enemies around the world out of combat using maybe something like that to program? Every, Everyone is already aware of the widespread concerns of the violence of video games and how yeah. it desensitizes um, you. Certain behaviors, yeah. Correct. Now, if you are taking these, um, the video games and making them fully immersive and much more compelling, giving people the, the visual and audio sensation of presence inside of that shoot 'em up world. Uh, I think it's very difficult for anyone to argue that there is not some type of an effect that that would have oh, on yeah. a young it's person's a behavior, mind. You know? you know, it's like I was sharing with you that uh, Dr. Pollock and I and many of the scientists that I bring on here, uh, we talk about uh, what was left behind in the 1800s, Steve, was the study of body water, the human body's water, and the influence on you per person. Because when that baby comes from the pocket of the womb of the water, enters into the electric rod of the water vapor, like, uh, like, like it is electricity, the human body is a battery. And the battery doesn't understand itself. It's operating with the emotions of individuality. No two eyes are alike and that the surface of the eye is 99% water connected to the brain and the womb at the same breath. Why did nature do that? It did it because the brain kicks in on what is necessary so the eyes don't go to the desert sand yet. But blindness is out of control. Why is blindness out of control? Why are emotions out of control? Why is a disease out of control? Well, in the 1800s, they were left behind, Steve, the research that they were learning of all these symptoms in the water that they could discover because they didn't believe by the early 1900s 
that you could get, you could achieve intellectual property protection with what you're achieving to hopefully go make some money. So when you're talking to me, for me, uh, with all the work I've done and what I've studied, with the behavior of evaporation of body water loss, living with the water vapor, each one of these is connecting individually, uniquely, by individuals of where they're coming from, when their personal behavior, some of them is no different than addiction. Why is it that some people can smoke and never get sick, smoke and never get addicted, really, and then there's others that with drinking or drugs or whatever behavior, they don't become addicted, but some others can. And I can see where the uh, activity of behavior studies would be going on with what we call our enemies of who don't care about human life, but they can program certain personalities of behavior with just what you've been teaching us. Right? Well, yes. There are also, these technologies are also used in this capacity, but for good. So, there are over 50 VA medical centers around the country that are using immersive virtual reality systems for the treatment of post-traumatic stress disorder. I can see it. I believe it. I do believe it. Yeah. And so by um, at normally, a patient will enter a clinician's office and you will sit inside of the office and you will, um, uh, this exposure therapy where you'll verbally retell a story over and over and over and over and the therapist ultimately, you know, helps guide you through to hopefully a place that there's fewer triggers. Well, with the virtual mm-hmm. reality stuff, um, you're able to, there's... Uh, virtual Iraq and virtual Afghanistan that's available to the clinicians. And you can bring up multiple different visual scenarios, whether or not it's a small Afghan village or someplace up in the Mm -hmm. hills in Iraq, you're able to introduce smells, explosions, sounds. There's uh, tactile feedback in the form of of subwoofers Mm -hmm. that are in the platform that the Mm -hmm. patient is seated on so that Mm -hmm. um, it corresponds to different events inside of these and they're finding that um, uh, m- the clinicians are finding that there is a significant amount of... Oh, I'm with you on it. In fact, I believe that anything a ha- person has happened in their life that's a post-traumatic problem that they had embedded in them, this would be very helpful with. And even a terminal diagnosis to program them to fight the disease or the diagnosis, to assist them, to program them. You know, Steve, I knew this was going to happen. We're we're almost out of time. We only have a minute left. Darn it, because I knew I was going to love this show. I hope you come back on sometime. Uh, Because you really, uh, this is the future of so much. Uh, But what would you like to say to the audience before you go today, and how do they find you on the website? So I just had a new book that was published by the academic publisher, which is Pearson, the largest publisher in the world. The book is entitled Practical Augmented Reality, and this is almost 500 pages that goes through the mechanics of human sight, ties it into the design of head-mounted displays, the mechanics of your sense of hearing, and into Mm three-dimensional sound, 
The same thing with your sense of touch. And then tactile and force feedback devices, we talk about the human factors considerations, application case studies, and uh, it's written uh, as a university text mm-hmm. uh, in order to, to provide a, uh, an understanding of why, what these technologies are, how they right. work. And why they're as powerful can as they are. Can you see this, uh, Steve, with special education? I can Absolutely. see it in so many different directions. Well, let's do it again. I hope you will get a hold of Polly and tell tell her when you can do it again, because there's we could uh, there just wasn't enough time to get me educated because I'm sure not smart, Steve. I have to put a lot of smart people around me to be smart at all, <laughs> and you're going to be one of them, Steve. <laughs> But I thank you for joining us today. I wish you well. And I hope you'll do this again with us sometime. Absolutely. I thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank you. You have a nice day and you be well. Thank you. You too. Bye. Well, audience, I want you to embrace your life every special moment because so much to learn. And always be fair what you do with embracing your life but somebody else's life. So you're fair about how you want to understand where different individuals are coming from at different times. But earth whispers, don't say goodbye. Leave something of yourself behind for the many generations to come for eternity, for all the children to know you cared. Thank you for listening, and you be well. Thank you for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel with an encore Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Remember to visit Sharon's website at SharonKleinaHour.com.